a lot of them. Ice on me, I'm popping. Try and get like me. Alrighty, we are live. How's it going, everybody? Happy Friday. Um, really pumped about this episode, episode 52 with Kevin Moran, the co-founder of Beam, um, an incredible 100% uh, THC-free CBD product, but all sorts of, uh, of wellness uh, products and, and it, it really an amazing brand that's, that's gaining a ton of traction. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Appreciate you. Totally, totally. Well, um, dude, super casual. Just want to kick this off. Where are you from? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you ended up getting into uh, the CPG game. Man, it's a long story. Um, I'm uh, <laughs> just very similar to you. I'm from uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Um, not really, the, not necessarily a hotbed for CPG, but um, I ended up moving to the Boston area. I went to Boston College and um, I've lived in the greater Boston area the last six years with a, a stop in Austin, which is a great CPG hub. Um, but back to Boston and um, I've been there for about the last six or seven years now, which is where Beam is, uh, is headquartered. Awesome. And, and you know what I, what I was reading about you and your background, um, I love seeing, you know, somebody who had experience. I mean, you were a professional baseball player, uh, yeah. turned, you know, CPG entrepreneur. So can we hear a little bit about that story? You know, has it always been baseball since day one? How did you, uh, you know, kind of even get into, uh, you know, really loving and, and pursuing that professionally? Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted me to get into that with the first question. Um, cause I would have yeah. No worries. Yeah, so it was weird for me. You know, I think in, I, in high school, I was just kind of a, just like an average, an average kid. And baseball wasn't necessarily top of the list for me. And um, it kind of happened serendipitously where I was a pitcher and I didn't know if I threw 80 miles an hour or 90 or 100. I had no idea. Um, and I had a coach talk me into going to what's known as a showcase. Um, a lot of college and, high, and uh, professional scouts. And I faced six batters, I think it was, and I struck out all six. I had a great day, and I think I was throwing like maybe 80, 90 miles an hour as a junior in high school, which was you know, pretty fast. And this is without, you didn't play like Little League or, or no. any, anything? <laughs> like, I, you know, I was, that was good. I was probably one of the better players in the team, but like, you know, not that, yeah. not that Division One caliber. And um, long story short, after that moment, I got back to my car and I had a million, um, not a million, but quite a few calls and texts from professional and college scouts, and my life kind of changed really quickly. Um, I ended up going to Boston College. Like I said, I um, looked at a few different schools, and then even once I got to BC, kind of the same thing. You know, I I was I was just I was over the moon just to go to BC because of the school that it was. I didn't I necessarily wasn't necessarily going to be able to get in there with my grades. And um, same thing. I, you know, as a freshman, I wasn't really thinking about playing professionally. Then it got like better and better, and ultimately ended up getting drafted my junior year relatively high um, in the ninth round by the Chicago White Sox. Um, <clears throat> it just kind of happened serendipitously. And then from there in professional baseball, I had uh, a major elbow injury. I had Tommy John surgery. I blew up both of my knees. I took my rotator cuff and my labor room, my shoulder, pretty much everything you could. And Was um, that in, in games or practice or how, how did that happen? That was just, you know, Tommy John is over time. Um, you have a big, or I can't, there, there you go, big scar in there. Um, Damn. Yeah, that's, they take a tendon out of your wrist and put it in your elbow. Um, so it was kind of like, they were like acute injuries, but also chronic, just overuse. And it was kind of funny, you know, once I got to professional baseball, I was a pretty big prospect. And, you know, I thought I was going to be playing, you know, professionally for 10, 15 years. That's funny in life where 
you know, at that moment was finally the time that I was like, oh yeah, I'm a professional baseball player. This is what I'm going to do. And that's the moment when it all started to crumble, when I actually, you know, kind of thought of it. Um, but I ended up going back to school, BC and graduating, you know, throughout some of those injuries, the White Sox were great to me. And then when I tore my, my shoulder apart, I just decided that was, that was enough. And, you know, and I look back at it, it was kind of a, it was definitely a challenging experience for me. I was only in my you know, low twenties. Um, so it just gave me a good perspective at a young age, you know, to go through, you know, with what felt like a, a big moment at the time. And to an extent having to reinvent myself and I ended up working at for a number of years. But, but when I look back at it, you know, you know, just as well as anyone being entrepreneurs, absolutely, you know, brutal at times. I look back at some of those moments and I think that they gave me a good perspective for what I'm doing today. So I wouldn't trade them for the world. I mean, I really liked, so I, I you know, played a little baseball myself, so I, I love it. Uh, it's, it's a super cool, you know, background, but um, I really do think there's a lot of parallels between, you know, being an athlete and an entrepreneur or founder. And uh, I feel like you're probably the best person to ask because a lot of people make the, the comparison. What, what, how, how do you look at the life of, a professional athlete versus a, you know, someone who's building a company. Yeah. I think in both of those things, like, you know, people look at, um, you know, playing professional, it's very glamorous to an extent. Right. And they see you out or, you know, on TV or playing and they don't really necessarily think of all the long bus rides or the long hours in the gym or the sacrifice that you've made, you know, not going to friends and family's weddings or missing big life events. Um, I graduated from college where I did a little piece at a time. So I never, you know, walked with my classroom or anything like that. So, um, I think people don't really recognize all of the hard work that has to go in behind the scenes to be successful. And actually to an extent, like how lonely that is, like, that's a really lonely endeavor. Um, same thing as an entrepreneur, particularly with a consumer brand, right? You know, people look at beam and don't get me wrong. I love it. It's super, it's like, you know, we have great athletes and entrepreneurs that are investors and part of the brand, you know, really big names, um, which is really fun and exciting. I think people look at that and think, well, I, like this is, this is, this is awesome. And it is, but I think like all of the little things behind the scenes and the stress and, you know, as a founder, you have to live, I think like on an unhealthy level of optimism, but also on an unhealthy level of paranoia um, and it wears on you after a while. And I think that's pretty lonely too. So, um, not loneliness in a bad way, but I just think they're both like really um, long, arduous paths with a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't see that are not fun. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, it's it's not the most glamorous and, you know, the headlines are great when you have an amazing brand and millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people are consuming your product. It's really yeah. exciting. But it's look, it's a five, 10, 15 plus year journey. Um uh, and it's every day, seven days a week. So um, love that, man. I, I'd love to love to hear. So, you know, you're going through injuries, you know, amazing experience as a professional athlete. Um, assuming recovery was probably one of the most important things that you were experiencing every single day. Um, when did Beam really come into the equation and, and how did it uh, really, you know, come, come to fruition? Yeah. So Matt, uh, my co-founder and I, Matt, played professional hockey. Um, and of course, I blew like, my shoulders, my knees, everything you can. Um, after baseball, I got really into Ironman triathlons, and I started doing Ironmans, which is, of course, what you do when you blow out your knees. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, How many Ironmans have you done? I've done two full Ironmans, which is, what is it, a two-and-a-half-mile swim, a 112-mile bike, then a marathon, and I've, gosh, I've probably done I don't know, 10 to 15 half Ironmans. Um, 
It's been a lot. I got, I had a, you can probably tell <laughs> these things. I got, I got really. That's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. That's yeah, next level. Okay. Very analogous to um, starting a business too. And, and they, where you have to deal with some of those things. But um, I, I told you I was living in Austin. I moved back to Boston and Matt and I got reconnected. And the funny thing about our relationship, like we, we weren't really very good friends in college at BC. He played hockey there and then played professionally. And we kind of got reacquainted in late, a little bit later in our twenties. And, um, I was training for an Ironman at the time with my wife and Matt joined me in some workouts. Um, and we just kind of hit it off a shared passion for wellness and discipline and all those things and decided to train for the 2018 Boston marathon. Um, and being athletes and just kind of actively interested in the wellness space, we both, uh, we both started looking at the, the CBD space. You know, I'd argue that it's becoming more mainstream uh, today. It, you know, back then it was, it's still misunderstood, but back then it was really widely misunderstood. Um, some tr- so we just started trying some products and seeing how they helped us with our recovery. And um, for me, I have a migraine software. I won't get into all those details, but just different ailments we were dealing with in our lives as we were training for the marathon. And we realized that from an efficacy perspective, perspective it was a really profound ingredient. Um, and then also we started looking at the brands in the space and everything was kind of medical, apothecary. We didn't think that there was anyone that was really- who, who, when you guys came in, who is like the dominant CBD player? Um, probably Charlotte's Web still. I mean, I mean, Charlotte's Web is still the biggest player in the space. Um, back then, yeah, they were, I mean, first mover and probably the biggest player in the space. I mean, the industry is today, I mean, it's, it's still relatively small. I mean, it's $5 billion industry projected to go to 25 billion over the next five years. Like there's massive growth that's going to be happening in the space. Um, uh, but then it was, it was uh, much smaller. So point being, it was just, you know, how could we create our thesis on the space too, is also, I think a little bit different than most brands that were out there. Um, we think CBD is profound in its efficacy and there's varying qualities and degrees to it, but to an extent it's, it's an ingredient. Um, so a lot of the brands are talking about CBD as kind of their story. For us, it was profound in its efficacy, it was an ingredient, but it was best when it was mixed with other functional ingredients, like take Dream, our sleep product as an example, melatonin, magnesium, reishi, L-theanine, plus our nano CBD. Um, so we thought there was an opportunity to innovate there, which is funny because early on, you know, a few, you know, a few years ago, people didn't buy into that thesis. They thought that, you know, CBD, I don't think it's any different than, you know, our X-Bar, like building their brand around the almonds and their X-Bar. Like, why would they do yeah. it? Yeah. So that's how we kind of look at the category. Um, I hope that makes sense. But that was a long-winded answer to, yeah, Matt and I were just training for the marathon and just saw a really big market opportunity to bring really innovative and unique products to market. And were you guys, I mean, the first versions of Beam, um, was there a moment in time where you're like, okay, we're going to, you know, stop, quit what we're doing and go all in on this thing? Were you, you know, making certain things in you know, yeah. your kitchen and like how, how where did the first uh, MVP kind of kind of come from? Man, Matt and I, like I, unfortunately, I just meet a lot of other great founders and earlier stage stuff. And I look at some of this, like we were so scrappy to a fault. Like if I could do it all over again, like I, I look back, I don't know how we were so scrappy. It was painful. Um, we did everything kind of on our own. Like we started working with a co-man early on and doing like 50 units at a time. And, you know, we would stand outside of SoulCycle or, you know, uh, Core Power Yoga and, and sell this stuff. Like, I'll never forget a picture we have. It's like February in downtown Boston. We're standing outside, like trying to sell a unit or two at a time and grow the brand. Um, so like as scrappy as scrappy as scrappy gets, like probably to a fall. Dude, but it, but it all adds up, man. I'm a firm believer that like that, you know, one transaction, one you know, totally. customer, you telling your story at a time, do it thousands and thousands 
hundreds of thousands of times that that's that's what built your brand so yeah i know i look back at those days and like i you know it's hard now but i mean it was i don't know how i was working full-time um and matt was had some other stuff going on his life on the personal side and also um was struggling was struggling to rub two nickels together so it was an interesting point in both of our lives um but yeah it, but i think it set up the foundation like now we're almost 20 people strong Believe it amazing like culturally it's like we have like that that like that scrappy culture has never really left the company which i'm really proud of i mean it's it's funny because in this space cbd too but also just the entire food and beverage industry you've got a ton of headline reading and there is a lot of capital being raised yeah and sometimes i'll see businesses that don't go, go through that scrappy moment instead they start with you know a big chunk of change and go build a company and i actually think that's to their detriment because that scrappy culture that you have, I mean, we're very similar, you know, handing out pops or making this stuff in my mom's kitchen. Um, but taking that and, and building upon that foundation and understanding what it's like uh, to, to, to build a company without access to capital is, is so, so fundamentally important. Yeah. Um, so, so you guys, you know, you're out at soul cycle. You guys just, was it like literally like stickers on bags, like, you know, oh, really dude. scrap. And it was, it was awful. Like we, Matt had a, spare bedroom at his house um thankfully i you know i didn't have to do a lot of this i did my own fair share of bathroom stuff but we would pack the boxes up at night um this was like all the way this was like doing i think like upwards of like 100 orders a day at this time he was still packing them at amazing night. um in tissue paper the packaging sucked it looked awful the whole <laughs> it was just like just just awful i remember like this one time i was sending stuff out it was like a saturday and um I was with my wife. I I made her come to the post office with me, and I was packing up like forty boxes. And she's like, "You know, that looks really bad the way that you're wrapping it up." And I'm like, "Just, I'm gonna kill you. Shut up!" I got her just because like I was just like, I can't keep doing like packing this tissue paper. Um, yeah, all those types of things. I'm trying to think of like, I mean, we did everything. We had a pop up in the middle of downtown Boston um, for a summer, and. We spent a lot of hours in that pop-up, um, just like you know, meeting customers and hearing about the brand. When I look back to your point, like I look at that period of time in our first year, um, there was so much feedback on the brand. I had so many conversations with prospective customers. I think it allowed us to, to get the brand um, a little bit more dialed before we went bigger, you know? And so where was that inflection point? You know, would you say like, this is a, a, a perfect example of where D2C, Amazon is really where your business hit its inflection point or was it built in retail through like, uh, you know, the natural channel, conventional channel? Because uh, to my knowledge, you guys are more of a D2C brand over uh, yeah, uh, a retail heavy. Yeah, we're, we're in Nordstrom today and some other um, retailers, but we're 99.9% correct to consumer. Um, yep. It's like we're in you know, what we call a high skepticism, low trust space, right? A little bit different than your brand. Like we have to overcome people thinking like, hey, this is a really bad category. This stuff is snake oil when ultimately it's not. So like we kind of go in with that challenge. So for us, like we, even today, we don't really think that retail is the best spot for high quality CBD brands because, you know, you look at some of the retailers, it's locked behind a shelf or it's in a glass case. So we just don't think CBD belongs there. We don't think Bean belongs there. Um, so... For us, it was always DTC. Where could we control the narrative most? Um, so we could, we continued to lean into the areas that we could. I mean, obviously, there's all the algorithmic channels, um, but we do a lot of influencer marketing. Um, that's been a big channel for us, and there's really nothing that um, 
has been quite as good for us in, a, in from that standpoint of allowing us to, to fully control the narrative on the brand. So um, we started. Small can you can you share how how you think how you think about performance marketing in 2021? I mean, I just feel like there have been waves of like Facebook being the go-to, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Snap. Um, for someone at your size, you've been in the game for half a decade and, you know, you've, you've played on a lot of these channels. How do you constantly find the best arbitrage opportunities? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and one that we're actively trying to answer. Um, fortunately, we have a really, really, really phenomenal best in class growth team, I would say, that helps with that stuff. I'm going to list on our team runs that channel. Um, it's a constant work in progress. And I think there are things you can do. Like, I think we've over time become started to think more like this over the years, but like there are things you can do for revenue grabs where you can, you know, be very transactional, right. And um, try to do something, try to do X to have Y happen from a conversion perspective. But I think as we've evolved and, you know, have started to, you know, pile up data over the years, we've been much more thoughtful about how we're acquiring customers and where we're acquiring them. Um, in, in the quality of those customers that we're acquiring. So um, it's a constant work in progress. We've been in every channel you can possibly think of um, and then some, and we're constantly trying to evolve that and just get to the ones that, that yield us the best customers. And what was the first product that you guys started with? And I know I love how you guys have extended into, you know, functional extensions or um, occasions, balance, performance, recovery, sleep, um, can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking about CBD and differentiating yourselves in a, obviously there's a lot of new entrants, um, right now, but just where the differentiation comes in. So we started just with tinctures and topicals, um, a tincture and a, and our fixer topical, which we still have both of those today. Um, again, the, this was a few years ago, the space has matured so much over the years for us, two reasons. Those are the first products, the easiest products to get to market for us to manufacture. Um, and we had no money at the time, so that was it was a pretty easy uh, go. Um, and second of all, the industry, from our perspective, customers, you know, equated CBD with tinctures and with topicals, right? Um, yep. This was that it would evolve into more functional categories, which to an extent we've, you know, we've been right about that. Um, so that was kind of just first get the brand out there, get product market fit with those two SKUs. And now as we've looked at it, we started talking to our customers and surveying them. And the feedback was, hey, I'm using these products for balance, performance, recovery, sleep, whatever the use case was. And those were the four that kept coming up when we talked to our, our best customers. So it was, as we looked at innovation for the future, it was, okay, let's let's take what our customers are, are telling us that they want to use our products for and are using them for. Let's continue to innovate in those categories. So how can we take you know, basically CBD brings your body back into balance and homeostasis, which helps you sleep deeper. So how can we take that, that benefit and then stack it with other functional ingredients like an L-theanine and melatonin and magnesium or reishi that create a more synergistic benefit to sleep deeper? Um, so it sounds, you know, simple to an extent, um, but that was, the, that was the extent of it. Um, and then we've done that in all these different categories and we just launched... Um, and Q1 of this year, some a hydration line of products that have no CBD in them. Kind of what I was saying in the beginning around CBD being profound its efficacy in the ingredient, but you don't you don't need CBD in the ingredient to to perform better, you know, or to, uh, in a in a product, or you know, to do so. So we'll continue to evolve and iterate and use that do and don't have CBD in the future. And for you, you know, when you look at Beam five years, ten years down the road. 
would you describe it as a wellness recovery company? Like, how do you see this evolving? Um, that's, you know, awesome. Love the hydration play. Um, but where is Beam really going to continue to evolve? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think a, a platform of products, I mean, one thing we've, we've gotten really good at, I would say, um, we need to work in a lot of areas, but one thing we're really good at is listening to our customers and letting them dictate where um, they want us to go. Um, well, I don't think we're going to innovate too much outside of those categories. Uh, never say never, but there are all sorts of things you can do um, within it, within those four categories to help with yeah. this. So there'll just be a lot more innovation. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to look at the trend and things that the consumers are wanting. What do you think about RTDs and the uh, you know all the new entrants and players in RTD as a category? I think it's an. I think it's a cool category. Um, to be candid with you, I don't know too much about it. Um, it seems really complicated from my perspective. Um, you probably know better than me. Oh, it's. I mean, it's one of the hardest and most competitive capital intensive, uh, you know, channels. Obviously, you know, a lot of upside as well. Um, but I just for when I think of the most, when I've come across a lot of CBD brands uh, in the past few years, and I feel like I see a lot launching in that. Uh, RTD oh. space and was curious if, if you guys had ever explored it or what you thought yeah. about it. No, yeah, more specifically on that, I think um, kind of the right way to say this, like for us, efficacy is always the most, is always top of the list, right? Um, yep. And for us, like that's, that's not the most efficacious way to consume a product. And, you know, from a bioavailability standpoint, that's, you know, there are other ways that are more efficacious and can create a, a better effect. So, and would you argue like powders and capsules, like what you guys sell are really the most efficacious? I just don't know anything about it. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, in particular, um, also, I would, you know, taking products sublingually, um, there's really nothing that gets in your system quite as fast as a, as a tincture under the tongue because of all the gland, not to get super nerdy, but all the glands and stuff you have in your mouth. Um, but yeah, powder um, and then capsule. Capsule not quite as much as a powder because you have to break down the, the capsule to get the stuff in your in your system. But um, we always kind of default to that. I mean, the the, the most efficacious ways to uh, efficacious ways and convenient ways, right? Um, to consume a product. So capsules, powders, tinctures, those types of things. Never say never to RTDs, but it's not on the roadmap today. Right. Um, you know, I usually like to ask this, like, what advice would you have for other people? I'm sure people reach out to you all the time. Um, I love the CBD category and I still think it's super nascent early and there's just so much innovation coming, but for anybody who's looking to go after THC, CBD, the category as a whole, or even just recovery and wellness products, um, you know, what would you tell yourself early days and just other prospective founders who are looking to make the leap and, and go build something? God, no, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just uh, that it's that it's a long, long road, and just to listen and not be so caught up in the moment. Um, it's it's difficult sometimes because the stakes get so high that you know things just get. It's easy to get wrapped around the axle really quickly, and I think just to continue to remind myself that it's a journey, and just to keep going and listening, and ultimately, like um, it's about progress, not perfection. Um, as an entrepreneur and, you know, doing things and, you know, setting up the business at every stage, you know, if you want to, if you're a venture back business, setting the business up. So when you're raising funds, um, sorry, you just, you just cut out. Can you say that again? Yeah. I would say setting the business up, um, for more points of optionality in the future, I think it's a little bit nuanced that I'm getting into, but like if you're a venture back business, like, 
you know, raising X amount of dollars to get to Y event, then to have more options or more decisions to make when you get to Y event, and then you know, make those decisions there. It's all about like creating as much optionality for yourself in the future as you possibly can. It's hard. It's like, you know, when I look back, like I wish I made some decisions maybe that um, I wasn't necessarily as focused on like the perfection in the moment, but more like what that progress would give me for optionality in the future. Um, you know, it's, it's all about, um, especially in the early days, like just, just surviving and, and continuing to, to move and grow. And again, it sounds like you know that too. So progress, not perfection. Yeah, no, you, you made a great comment too. Like sometimes I think some founders can be a little too scrappy, which can hold back potential innovation. Like I, I totally, you can undercapitalize yourself sometimes like certain categories, beverage, for example, like you need a certain amount of capital to compete. I'm assuming CBD and what you're doing, myself included, like there is a bent, like a minimum, like if you really want to uh, support trade spend or have performance marketing and have a shot, uh, you know, there is capital that can be, that is usually required to do that. Um, But also making sure you're not bringing on the wrong investors and like you're structuring the business in a way that gives you, like you said, freedom, optionality. I think that's really important. Devil's in the details of that stuff. And it's um, also like even back to the beginning, I feel like it's, it's really hard and, you know, making sure, you know, one thing Matt and I have done well over the years is like we, we operate the business, I'm not sure if you have a co-founder, but like with a pure set of values. And ultimately, like it makes business decisions like that you're making over the years easy because you're going to have disagreements and conflicting opinions. But ultimately, like I know when Matt and I don't see eye to eye on an issue, it's not personal. It's just we, I mean, we both have the best thing in mind for the business and we share the same set of values. So we ultimately get to the same conclusion. So bringing your co-founder and then the essential people around you um, to have a, really, a very similar shared set of values would be my advice. It's awesome. Love that. Well, Kevin, I know it's a, a busy Friday. I appreciate you jumping on um, anywhere, you know, where, where can people find beam and uh, you know, any other retail locations that we can, you know, check you guys out at. I, I just on our website would be the best place to find us or our room, like I said, but um, just beam TLC. So beam like tender, loving care.com. And then that's social on Instagram. It's pretty easy. at just at beam. Amazing. Well guys, uh, you know, awesome interview, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to go get some beam. So I, I appreciate it. Um, what, what would you recommend? Are you a big sleep product recovery? What's your favorite skew that, that you love to use? I'm a, I'm a big sleep guy. Um, dream caps are the dream powder. I both, I love, but also don't sleep on a uh, revive. I like the don't, revive. don't, don't sleep on it. All right. Really good. Anti-inflammatory. Epic. Epic. Kevin, thanks again, man. Have a great weekend and uh, talk soon. Thanks, man.